Our scripture today comes from Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Is the word of God for the people of God. I'm going to look at two words today. One of these words I'm going to treat positively and one negatively. The two words are trajectory and passive. When we're passive, we just let things happen to us. We approach the world and we approach the people around us as if we're just objects, as if we're just things to be manipulated. Now that might sound like a good thing, a good posture, especially when it comes to dealing with God. Maybe some of you have heard the line, you are the potter, I am the clay. Have y'all ever seen a potter make a, a pot out of clay? You know how the potter does it, the potter gets the clay, and puts it there, and he says, okay, pot, what I want you to do is do this. And then the pot just sort of does it, right? No, the, the potter does all the work. The clay is passive. It just sits there. And yet we sing, we, we read in the Scripture, you are the potter, I am the clay. And we continue, mold me and make me. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Do you hear that passivity there? We're calling out to God as if we are passive, as if we are objects. And I get that. I'll affirm that because there's so much work in our lives that only God can do. That's why we say things like, let go and let God. Because we've experienced that, that practice of just working and working and striving and exerting ourselves over and over again and getting nowhere. And we get to that point where we need that passivity, that willingness to say, God, here I am. Do what you want in my life. Do what you can with me because I can't do anymore. So when it comes to our relation with God, I can understand taking ourselves as passive. 
But that's not the whole of it, even when dealing with God. When I look at scriptures like Deuteronomy 34.10, it's the very last chapter of the Pentateuch, the last five of the five books of Moses. And it's summing up Moses' life there. And it says there, never about Moses, never since has a prophet arisen in Israel whom the Lord knew face to face. Now, just on its face, that sounds like Moses is this passive guy just sort of standing there being known by God. But when I look at the story of Moses and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, I don't just see a guy that's passive before God. Oh, yeah, he lets God work in him. Oh, yeah, he offers himself to God. But I see a man who continually offered himself to God, a, a person who continually revealed himself to God, who shared his heart with God, who was transparent to God. So passive, yeah, but, but that's not the whole story. Or we could look at Paul in Acts 16, Paul and his mission team. They're going, they're trying to go this place. And the Spirit stops them. And they try to go to this other place, and the Spirit stops them. It's not that they're just being passive, saying, okay, God, uh, we sort of think it might be a good idea to go on a mission trip, and we're just going to sit here and wait for you to tell us where to go. What we see there is them knowing that God called them to mission, knowing that God had called them to make disciples of every nation. They were going but as they were going, they let themselves be redirected by God along the way. We can look at our own Methodist tradition. Shortly after his heart was strangely warmed in 1738, John Wesley was, was growing and in relationship with, with a group of Christians there in, in, in London. There were Moravian Christians, immigrants from Europe, from the continent. And their teaching was what was called stillness. If you want to experience the grace of God, if you want to experience conversion, becoming a Christian, the thing you do is just be still. Be passive. Do nothing. And God will do it in God's own good time makes me think of William Carey, who came along a little later in the 18th century. Some of y'all might know uh, William Carey from your study of the history of Christian missions. William Carey was one of the early Protestant missionaries to India, and he, he had such great difficulty in England raising support to go to India. The almost universal response to William Carey was, if God wants those people saved, God's going to do it himself. Be passive. Don't do anything. God will just do it. But what we see in Scripture, what we see in our Wesleyan tradition, is taking up the means of grace, ways that God has given us to join God in what He's doing. One of them is taking up the Bible. Any of you all bring a Bible today? Well, I know everybody has a Bible on their phone, right? Yeah, that's what we do nowadays. But... But it's bring a Bible. Do, do you read your Bible? 
We'll get more to that in just a minute. We have other means of grace. We have the means of grace of prayer. Prayer when, yes, sometimes we're passive, just, call, just being silent before God, but other times we're calling out to God. We're crying out to Him. In a little bit, we're going to have another means of grace, coming and joining in the Lord's Supper. Wesley taught that there are means of grace, things that we can be doing, activities in which God says, my grace is there. My work in your life is there. And when you do these things, when you engage in these practices, you'll experience my grace. That's, that's passive, passivity. What about trajectory? What about that word? Basic idea in the word trajectory is where is it and where is it going? You, you might think of an arrow. You, here you are, you, you have your bow, and you pull your arrow back, and you shoot it, and then the arrow goes. It starts off here, and its trajectory carries it toward the target, assuming you're a decent aim. Or, or you might think in education. You start off in kindergarten. Anybody here ever go to kindergarten? You start off in kindergarten. You go to kindergarten, you learn stuff, and it sets you on a trajectory toward first grade, and guess where first grade sets you on a trajectory toward? Second grade, and, and eventually third, fourth, and you get to high school. And then you might go someplace else learning more, being educated more. You're on a trajectory. You're on a path that's going somewhere. Or we might look at tra the trajectory of a life. Might think of Judas Iscariot in the Bible. His trajectory is going the right direction. He joins Jesus when Jesus calls him. He follows Jesus. He walks with Jesus. He sees the miracles. He joins in the miracles when Jesus sends out his disciples to minister. His trajectory is going the right direction. But then he sets it all aside. The trajectory of his life was not inevitable. Or we could look at the trajectory of a country, where a country as a whole is heading. Is it heading in a good direction, in a bad direction? Is what's happening now in the life of that country conducive? Is it leading toward a healthy trajectory in the right direction? Here in verse 11 of our text, Paul says, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Do this, understanding the present time. Do we understand our current reality? The current reality of our individual lives, the current reality of what's going on around us, do we see it? Do we grasp it? We hear of wars and rumors of war. We look around our world and we see sin not just popular, but encouraged as a virtue. We see God minimized. God is, is maybe a cosmic therapist when we need help really bad and nobody else can help us. Okay, God, I've tried everything else, so yeah, I'll try you. So you can fix me and then I can go about my business. Or God is cosmic butler. You know what a butler is for, right? How many of you would like to have a butler? Wouldn't that be great? Hey, butler, the dishes are dirty. Wash the dishes. Hey, butler, the laundry needs doing. Do the laundry. 
We see in a world God treated as a therapist, as, as a butler. We see in our world that churches are weakened. We see leaders are falling. We see members everywhere are busy. We see congregations becoming ingrown. Do we understand the present reality? Now, one thing we could do if we understand the present reality, see all the bad stuff out there, is think, oh, we got to have a fortress, got to build our walls tall and strong so nothing bad can get in. But the posture I see in Scripture is one of being on the offensive, one of going up against the gates of hell. Remember Jesus saying something? Uh, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Y'all know what, what gates are, right? When you go into battle, how, who carries the gates? Say the Assyrians are attacking Israel. Who, who in the Assyrian army carries the gates from Assyria all the way to Israel? Nobody. The gates are defensive. Jesus' assumption is not that we're hiding in a safe fortress where nothing can hurt us, where nothing bad's going to happen. His assumption is that we're going out there because we know what's going on. We understand the present time. What's the trajectory that we see in the world around us? When it comes to passivity... I think we can do something about it. I think we can do something about it for ourselves. We can say, I am not just going to be passive. I am not just going to let things happen to me. And we can do it for the people around us. We're not just going to be passive in the face of what we see happening in our children, in our parents, in our brothers, our sisters, in our friends, maybe even our adversaries. I'm going to say, oh, yeah, they're, they're going the wrong direction. So, yeah, God's judgment's going to fall on them, and that, they deserve that. That's okay. But no, when we, reject, when we reject passivity, when we recognize the trajectory of their lives, we step in and do something. As active agents, not just passive objects, when we understand the present time, we can want to be leaders, not just passive agents. Victims. I know being a victim can be in sometimes. We can say, oh, yeah, it's my DNA that, that makes me a victim. It, it's people around me. It's my environment. It's my parents. It's my children. It's the chemicals in my brain. All these things make me a victim. And there are real victims. And too often the real victims are from those that should be trusted. And yet they can't be trusted. And we look at the trajectory of things and we say, I want to be a leader. I want to make a difference. Being a leader is not risk-free. Failure is possible. We also have to deal with the fact that we're accountable. We're accountable to the people around us. We can't just say, oh, I'm the leader. Don't question me. I can't say, well, I'm the pastor. I have authority. Just trust me. Just do whatever I say. I'm accountable. Sometimes we might hear about the possibility of failure. We might hear about that accountability and say, eh, I think I'll let somebody else do it. But it's still worth doing. 
Paul gives us some other clues here in our text about what this wanting to be a leader looks like. Starting off in verse 8, we see that it's love. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And he gives these commandments here. They're, they're specific examples of what love looks like. It's not just having warm feelings in your heart. It's showing active love. It's part of being a leader. And it's also setting aside love as a tool of manipulation. Maybe you all have experienced that before, where, where you say to somebody, I love you. And they'll say, well, if you love me, you're going to do whatever I ask you to do. Maybe, maybe your kids did that. If you love me, Mama, you'll let me stay up till midnight. If you love me, Dad, you'll get me a new car. If you love me, if you love me, well, no. So love is, is a factor in being a leader. There's also what, what is vulgarly called our morality. Verse 13, Paul writes, Let us behave decently as in the daytime, where we don't need to be hiding not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think, do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. We reject the world's standards. We reject the world's patterns of behavior. We clothe ourselves with Jesus. It's this love that he writes about here and this character transformation that makes us safe to be leaders. I mean, anybody can have an opinion. How old do you have to be to have an opinion? One? One, One-year-olds have, have an opinion. Maybe you have an opinion when you're six months old. Oh, and being bossy. That's what leaders are. They're bossy, right? What age do you start being bossy? Two? Earlier than Two? Anybody can have an opinion. Anybody can be bossy. But what we're looking for is leaders who love, leaders who submit to God, leaders who are being transformed. And there's other things we see in Scripture. First, we see the normal trajectory of the Christian life. We see in verse 11 here that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. God's taking us someplace. He's taking us from our initial faith in Christ, the time where we cross the line of believing in Jesus, the time of trusting Him, entrusting our lives to Him, the time where we give our allegiance to the King and to His kingdom. We see this trajectory, and we experience this trajectory as we take up the spiritual disciplines that equip us. These practices that we need to play the game No one can do that for us. We can't do it for our kids, can't do it for our parents, can't do it for our siblings. We have to do it. We can't just be passive. It's doing these disciplines. It's walking in the way of Jesus that enables God to do that inward work in our lives. And as leaders, we model that for each other. We don't just say, do it. We model it. So the first thing is we recognize the normal trajectory of the Christian life. The second thing is we get into the Word. We engage with Scripture. 
We read it. We listen to it. We memorize it. And we obey it. One of the phrases I heard maybe 15 years ago that stuck with me ever since is that one of the problems in the church today is that too many of us are educated beyond our level of obedience. We hear the word. We know the truth. We file it away. But we don't do it. Got to do it. Can't just be passive. Can't also treat the Bible as osmosis. Okay, yeah, I'm going to put it on my head. Or, oh, yeah, I got it, got it on my phone. So, yeah, it's right there on my hip, and it's just going to flow through, right? Just like whatever's on Instagram or TikTok, it's going to feed right through my hip right there. Third thing, let God break your heart for the people around you. We're aware of what's happening in the world. We see the darkness. We see the devastation. And we don't just say, man, they deserve it. But our hearts are broken. We see what their sin has done to them. We see what our sin has done to them. We offer ourselves to God to let His grace prevail in us and through us. So who's this for? Well, let's, let's do a quick test. Okay, hold up two fingers like that. Can you hold up two fingers like that? Okay, and then put it right here under your chin. Anybody feel a bump, 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 bump? You know what that's called, right? That's called a pulse. If you have a pulse, this is for you. God has a purpose for you. God's desire is that you see what's going on. You see what he's done. And that you join him in it. Today, my encouragement to you is want to be a leader. That's not a question. The question is not, do you want to be a leader? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I'm encouraging you, want to be a leader. Given what you see, what you see in the Word, what you see in the world, want to be a leader. Hunger for it. Hunger to join God in what He's doing. To see Him do great things in your life and the lives of the people around you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You today that You're not a God on vacation. You're not a God who created everything and then said, oh yeah, y'all creation, just take care of yourself but you're intimately involved with us now. Lord, help us today to hear your voice, to hear your call, to join you in what you're doing. Amen.